the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today. We have another uh, great show uh, today. I'm going to do something a little uncommon for me. Uh, Sometimes I uh, reuse a segment in the past uh, because I get stuck in some kind of meeting or something. Today, I'm doing it intentionally. Thomas Baker was on our program about a month ago, was on this show uh, ahead of everyone else, of course. He's written a book about how the FBI, he himself is a retired FBI agent. He's written a book about how the FBI has failed. And uh, he was testifying this week before the special committee of the Judiciary Committee on the Weaponization of DOJ, Thomas Baker. He did an extraordinary job. It's not a surprise in a way. He's he's in his probably his 70s. He looks like he's in his 60s, but he's in his 70s, and um, I think, and he's an old-fashioned pro. And so he testified with all the seriousness and appropriateness and the leadership of a pro, a professional, uh, in the tradition of the FBI and basically described how broken it was. It's phenomenal. So our interview with him from uh, from about a month ago uh, about his book, uh, we're going to replay that later. And uh, it's great. And it's great. And he's great. And I'm glad he's getting more of a platform. You know, you can go back in time. You will find that I have on this program some of the most important people whose voices later become really loud. Now you can say, well, is it Ed that gets them on his program and then they end up getting good? I think so, but maybe not. Maybe it's just luck. But I, you know, uh, Julie Kelly was on this show many times before she sort of hit it big with her book. Uh, Selena Zito, of course, she was a nationally known writer, but in terms of her profile, it went shooting up and she was on this program because I was talking about what she tapped into in terms of understanding uh, the Trump phenomenon. Um, there's lots of examples like that of people. And Thomas Baker's another one. Thomas Baker's another one. So uh, very cool. And I'm excited to play that again. We'll also hear uh, from Dr. John Rosamond. Dr. John Rosamond is uh, parentguru.com is his website. He's a, for about 50 years, um, he has been a, a, well, he's a PhD in psychology. And he's been what I would call a conservative uh, counselor conservative psychologist out there um, being sane about the family, being sane about parenting. And he wrote a post on Facebook about uh, a week ago, two weeks ago. And one of you saw it and sent it to me. One of the listeners of the Pro-America Report sent it to me. And so I then reached out to him. He's coming on the show. He's written 30 some odd books. He writes a, a column that's nationally syndicated on parenting. And basically what he says is give yourself a break don't be so hard on yourself. And by the way, stop reading all those uh, parenting guidebooks. They're full of uh, gobbledygook. Use your gut, use your instinct, use common sense, uh, use what you've learned from your parents. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So we'll talk with John Roseman. I'm looking forward uh, to that. All right. But before we get to that, what you need to know today, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited. Uh, Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, who's I consider a friend of mine, uh, he's a very talented guy. He's very smart. 
He went to, uh, I guess, Yale undergrad and Stanford Law School. Um, I think I got that right. Could have it backwards. But uh, he is a U.S. senator. He was attorney general. He clerked for the U.S. Supreme Court for Chief Justice Roberts. Um, he's just a very smart guy, married to a very smart woman, Aaron, his wife, Aaron Hawley. She's written a book or two in the last couple of years. Very accomplished lawyer herself. But um, Josh also, to me, has his finger on the pulse of uh, America right now, whether it's in China, whether it's on uh, standing up for working people generally. Um, he's just really got his finger on the pulse. I, I think it's because he comes from small town America. Uh, his, his hometown is uh, in the cent- central Missouri, about an hour from uh, uh, Kansas City. It's just regular uh, people there. And, and I think he's got a, a feel for this. Uh, he's also a dad now. He's got three young children. I think that helps him have a perspective. But he did an interview with NBC. I'm so excited that he brought this up. And it's getting national headlines. It will get more headlines because his kind of leadership on other issues, he talks about it first and then the the, the leaders come along with him. And in this case, what he's talking about is something we've talked about on this program before, which is an age, a legal age uh, under which you cannot be on social media. In other words, if we say we don't want our kids to drive a car until they're 16 or whatever age, um, you know, why would we allow them to be in social media? It's, it's clearly a tool that is very dangerous. It's clearly a tool that you're, if you're under formed, if you're not yet fully formed in your brain, you can be um, uh, uh, abused or malformed, better say malformed. And so why not have rules? Now, you could say, well, there used to be people that got mad. They would say, you're, you know, don't, don't do a driver's license for me. Uh, my family runs a farm. And if you're 12 or 13, you should be able to drive a tractor and a car or whatever. Uh, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule. But when it came to widespread use of a vehicle, a car, you can't have 12-year-olds driving cars on the highways. You have to have some rules. When it comes to social media, it's so common now, you have to have some rules. I, I'm, I'm not for banning social media for all adults. I'm not. I think we should be able to free to, you can be free to stupefy yourself any way you want. By the way, I am for taking it away from prisoners. I am for taking it away from convicts. I am for limiting the access to people that may have mental health issues if we have to. But I'm certainly for rules about kids. And you say, well, parents should decide. It's a parental choice. Sometimes parents can't make the right choice. So in this case, this is always a balance. And in this case, I think we should consider it. Even the conversation will be helpful. I'm sure you know, I'm sure you probably listeners know someone, maybe you don't, but if you don't, don't I'm going to tell you this, that will say to you, a parent, they'll say, it, it, it's just not worth the trouble. I, I can't tell, you know, I just let them use the, the, the social media because they, otherwise they're just on me and they're just talking, it's just easier this way. Well, I know it's true that my parents when I was asking to watch more TV when I was a little boy, probably were saying, oh, you know, sometimes it's better just to let him watch more. At that time, we would watch the TV guide for, uh, you know, a baseball game that would be on one of the channels, usually channel 11, where I grew up, and you could watch a baseball game. They'd be like, let him watch it. Or on Saturday mornings, let him watch cartoons. I, I mean, I know that. So I know I'm sounding like a grumpy old man on the, on the uh, sitting on my porch yelling about get off my yard, get off my lawn. But I'm actually talking about more sophisticated aspects of this. And Senator Hawley tapped into that in this interview and in his assessment. 
it's not just about data. It's not just about access to personal data and that Chinese, the communist regime would know all about us. To be honest, I think they already do. I think there's already such access and such hacking into our data. I'm actually, I'm talking much more about social media as a tool that malforms our brain. So when I say ban TikTok, it's not just about media. I say ban TikTok because I don't want the communist regime to have access to our, our country, our, all of us. But in the case of kids, we have to have some rules and they have to be the law, I think. And I at least think we have to have a more serious conversation about this than we've had so far. And Josh Hawley is, again, leading by talking about this. You know, you cannot be afraid to get to the point of politically incorrect, probably unpopular. There's probably lots of voters who say, don't tell us what to do. I don't want my kids off social media. I don't know. Maybe not. But he's recognizing that it's a real problem, a real problem facing we the people. It's a real problem that our nation, frankly, is threatened by. Because, again, while we would, if 13 years old, were, 13 year olds were driving cars, some of them might kill themselves or others. That's one thing. But in this case, if you've got 13 year olds on social media, their brains are being malformed. And you can't say that the people on social media are altruistic. Some are, but not all are. So good for Josh Hawley for bringing up something very specific, somewhat controversial, getting a ton of attention. But frankly, he's leading us in the right direction for the conversation that is the best, not just for the kids, but for our nation and for our future. It's another example. Senator Josh Hawley is constantly leading, constantly leading uh, in so many great ways. So I'm glad he did that. It's great. And um, we'll follow it and see where it goes. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back in uh, today again, Dr. Uh, John Rosamond, as well as a replay of Thomas Baker, the great FBI agent. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You all know, my listeners, that I get recommendation from folks all the time, and I look at a lot of stuff. And so a few weeks ago, uh, one of the listeners uh, sent me a, a post from Facebook uh, by John Rosemond. And John Rosemond's been, I hate to say it, John, you, I'll say it carefully. He's been around for a long time. <laughs> he's been a columnist. He's a uh, psychologist is his training. And he, he, he really focuses on families, on parenthood, on children. He's got a fascinating, uh, I don't know, decades long career and um, has his own family. He's got two children, if I remember right, and some uh, uh, six or seven grandkids. He's a fa fascinating uh, leader in this. His website is parentguru.com, parentguru.com. Uh, you can go there and check it out. But the post was up on uh, Facebook and it said, um, the finishing sentence, I don't want to read the whole post, but said, raising children is not a matter of great philosophies. It does not require large amounts of study and cogitation. It's purely a matter of feelings of intuitions of what's in your heart, not your head. Uh, maybe the takeaway from this um, 
is uh, the first paragraph or so says the perfect parent is a perfect thinker. This is what people will tell you to think. You know, this you got to get to this. If you think it right and you get it all right, it'll be perfect. I, I, it, there's no such thing, I don't think, as a perfect parent. And so anyway, so I, I emailed uh, John Roseman. I said, hey, I read this. It's incredible. Would you come on the show? And here he is. So welcome, uh, sir. Thank you for coming on the program. And I uh, appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate the invitation, Ed. Thanks. So if I'm getting, and you know, everything, everyone comes from where they are. I have four kids, 18, 15, 18, 16, 13, and 11. And I've learned that there's no, I can't be perfect. I can't be a perfect parent. And it's frankly, it pisses me off, John. I want to be better, better at it. And I, but you know, you got to give yourself a break. One of the problems with our culture is if you're not perfect, you failed is how they teach us. And therefore everybody's failing all the time. Am I getting that wrong? No, you're not at all. I mean, uh, when it comes to the raising of children, that is pretty much an accurate description of the way the typical American mother feels about child rearing. She has been brainwashed by what I call the good mommy club, which she doesn't even know that she's a member of. (laughs) She's been brainwashed by the good mommy club into believing that you know, she has to do everything perfectly. Uh, and as you said, or she is a failure, she is flawed. And uh, this explains, by the way, to significant degree, um, why American mothers uh, post-1960s are so anxious when it comes to the raising of children, so insecure, uh, and why they are constantly doing what their grandmothers, great-grandmothers, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers didn't do, and that is constantly reading parenting materials. Now, appreciate the irony of this, Ed, and our listeners. I have written 20 books on the raising of children. You're saying don't read them. I got where you're going, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I write a nationally syndicated newspaper column on raising children, but I'm a unicorn. I'm a one-off. I, I don't believe that my profession, psychology, has provided the American parent with good child-rearing advice. I think my profession is provided the American parent and, and the Amer- let's face it, fathers are not reading parenting books. Their wives are reading these books. They have them stacked on the bedside table, you know, and, uh, and the, the advice that these people, women are getting from these books, they don't realize that this advice is causing problems. It's not helping them resolve problems. I went to psychology graduate school. I know what it does to your head. It messes you up. Right. It messes up your thinking. It messes up your common sense. It causes you to begin thinking that anything that you think as a psychologist must be true because you've been given this sort of uh, certificate of mental immaculateness uh, when you graduated from graduate school. And... Uh, in the first place, psychology is not a science. It's a fake science. It's a fake science with fake theories and fake diagnoses and fake treatments. It's a, it's a farce. And I'm saying that as a psychologist, and I want women especially to understand that they are consuming 
stuff that is causing them the very problems they are trying to avoid and solve. Uh, we're talking again with uh, um, John Rosemond and uh, um, his website. Again, I- I'll put up. There's lots there. I'm looking at one of your columns, uh, um, the end of mere child, uh, the end of mere child rearing. Also, there's a, lo- a lot there. Is what I'm saying is a resource. But I want to pause and, and ask you or, or say something and refer to what you said. We are living in a strange world where you know the late Phyllis Schlafly, who I mentioned. She wrote a speech in the 1980s, and she was talking about patents. And she said, the American woman, and she gave this speech a lot, is, is, is in the most amazingly blessed time in history. Because 100 years before, you didn't have a dishwasher. You didn't have a, you know, a, a refrigerator. You didn't have a, a, certainly a freezer. You didn't have a microwave. You didn't have a, a dryer. You didn't have, and you worked all the time. And, and as Phyllis in this article says, is, we got all these great inventions that gave us lots of free time. And it's true, by the way, about men, too. It's true about families. It's true about kids right kids would have been uh, if you had if you had uh, a child by the time he usually but he or she was old enough they're going out to at least get the eggs if not to milk the cows and or whatever it was to be uh, in the family to play a different role than sitting around and uh checking out uh youtube uh you know videos or something so john that that's part of the problem that we almost have too much time and therefore, the sort of, uh, you know, there's, we, we should try to do something with the idle, you know, the famous the idle hands or the devil's play things. I mean, I think it's Ben Franklin, I, you know, idle minds or idle, you, too much time, you, you're going to find stupid things to think about and worry about. And in my opinion, one of them is thinking life will be perfect ever because, and, or your neighbor's life is perfect compared to yours. It's this sort of haunting, uh, sense that people have. Yeah, well, there used to be a time in America, and I'm probably a member of the last generation of American children to experience this sort of upbringing. There was a time in America not that long ago, I'm 75 years old, when children were productive, contributing members of their families from an early age. I mean, by the time I was three years old, my mother had taught me to wash floors, Now, she had to carry the bucket of water around when it needed to be moved, but I was washing the floor. I learned to wash my own clothes in her washing machine before I was five years old. Now, before anybody thinks, well, washing machine, you just push a button or two. No, no, no. My mother's washing machine was a galvanized tub that sat on the (laughs) side porch with a, uh, what did they call those things? A washboard stuck right. in. Right. That's how I learned to wash my clothes before I was five years old. I would come in, my clothes would have grass stains all over them because this was the era of children actually going outside and playing as opposed <laughs> to being told what to do by adults. And... um My mother would look at my clothes and she would say, you've got grass stains all over your pants. You need those for church tomorrow. You're going to wash those. Come with me. And she would fill the tub with water, put some soap flakes in it, and let me uh, go. And I had to stay there until the grass stains were gone. You know, I couldn't do uh, an inadequate job. you know, I won't say the word, but it's it's H-A, job. Right. I had to do a good job. Or she would say, no, the grass stains are still there. Go back and try again. And, you know, 
it, it leads me to this point, Ed, that children used to be raised in a way that prepared them for responsible citizenship. Mm-hmm. And today they are being raised in, in a way that prepares them for what? I, I can't figure it out, tell you the truth. And I'm what's called a parenting expert. <laughs> well, and uh, John Roseman uh, is our guest. Um, again, parentguru.com. I, I need to, I feel like I'm uh, in, in the confessional or at least in therapy. So I want to, I want to say this so I can get some credit. Um, last night I was in the family room, uh, the, the, the um, family room and I heard that my sons, 16 and 13 out in the garage and I heard them w- with a soccer ball and they, de- I heard them develop a game where they were kicking the soccer ball against multiple things and i thought none of the things that are getting kicked at should be kicked at like the fridge or the freezer or lord help us the um the uh garage door which has windows in it and i started to get up because they had i heard them they had a scoring there was a scoring portion to it there was uh, it was a sophisticated game and i started to get up and i was going to go tell them cut it out because you're not supposed to kick things in and i thought you know that's kind of what you're supposed to do when you're a kid is come up with a game and rules. And then eventually what happened Two boys, eventually they fought about it. And then somebody came in mad at the other one, which all was consistent. And I just kind of resisted the temptation to be like, Hey, you're going to break a window. I thought if they break a window, it's a window. Like, I mean, I'm not going to be happy about it, but anyway, so that's, that's me, John defending myself for all the other things I do poorly as a, a as a, a father. But now I want you to solve the problem. I would John Roseman's our guest parent we're talking about how the the culture, and especially in this piece I'm looking at, you refer to the fact that um, you know the the parenting progressives they set these precedents, and you're saying you know it's going to be a problem. But I just want to pause in, in thirty seconds or a minute or a couple minute or two. But what are we supposed to do if you're the parents here? You're swamped by this, even in private schools, even in homeschoolers. You're swamped by the mentality of of sort of. I don't know, child empowerment and all this stuff. Like my dad and mom didn't care what I wanted to do. I think until I was about 20, but it's so what are we supposed to do? I mean, how do we, how do we do what you say, which is, you know, parent by intuition and smarts and what you feel because you know what's right. But in a world that's just swamping us the other way. Well, you have to be willing to unplug yourself from the pathology of what I call postmodern psychological parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's postmodern because it's relativistic. We no longer have any agreement whatsoever on how to raise children. It's psychological because today's parents are thinking abstractly about these psychological concepts concerning their kids. Instead of having their feet solidly planted on the ground, uh, their, 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 their heads are in the clouds. And the clouds of psychology. And uh, we, we've got to, and, and this is my mission and this is my ministry, Ed, is to try and persuade women that they've bought into something, postmodern psychological parenting that is pathological, that is not doing them any good, that is causing them stress, causing them anxiety, causing them guilt, and they need to unplug from it. And I will tell you, I've persuaded uh, you know, I've been doing what I'm doing for uh, 45 years, and I've persuaded lots and lots of women to unplug from the good mummy club and its pathologies, and they all tell me that it's the greatest thing they ever did. Hmm. Uh, they all t- they also tell me they had to find all new friends. 
Yeah. But they tell me it was the greatest thing they ever <laughs> did. And, you know, it's just unplugging from that pathological subculture and reclaiming your common sense where your children are concerned. That's what I'm trying to help women, parents do. Well, um, John uh, Rosamond, thank you for coming on our show. Thank you. It's working in the sense that somebody saw your uh, um, comment on Facebook, sent it to me, and here we are talking, and you're writing, as you said, a nationally syndicated column. You can see his columns. You go to parentguru.com as well as uh, his books and, and other things. And in the active work they do, you can uh, be in touch with uh, uh, with folks, be a part of the uh, uh, Parent Guru team. Uh, it's $34 a year. It's not a lot of money, and you can get engaged and all. So thank you for uh, – the time and uh, we'll have you back on the show and and we appreciate what you're doing well thanks much Ed. I'd, I'd love to come back okay uh, everybody we'll we'll do it um and uh, i will put up on social media everybody links to uh that column i referred to as well as uh, the other parts of the website uh very very interesting and we will be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, you, My listeners know, sir, that I love uh, books, and so I was really excited. I got uh, forwarded a, a new book to read, and I dug into it. I, I This one, the, the world's changed so much. You used to have to wait, get a copy in the mail. Now you get a PDF, and they promise you, swear on your you know, your mother's life that you'll never pass it on to anyone, so you, and you can't do that. You get in trouble. But uh, I, I got this great book, and I printed out the first two chapters, and then I went back, and I looked at the last chapter. It's called The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Began became a threat to democracy. Thomas J. Uh, Baker, uh, Bombardier Press, uh, a great press that does a lot of good things. It's um, part of Post Hill and a uh, big fan of them. So uh, welcome, sir. How are you? Welcome to the program. How are things? Very good, Ed. Glad to be with you. Well, thank you. And, you know, one of the, the tags when I, I got sent this information from one of the Post Hill folks was, which I thought is a great thing to say, is not only were you for 33 plus years an FBI agent investigating, but uh, managing. And a lot of us, as we've watched what's happened uh, with the sort of lack of confidence in the FBI that so many Americans feel, we just feel like there's been too many things have gone wrong. And um, and so managing it, it, it jumped out to me. Um, how do you I know you wrote this book about the subject, about uh, what's happened and what you saw and what you see, um, but you put your whole life into it. I mean, I I remember growing up, but my we had family friends that were, you know, FBI and and Secret Service, and there's such pride in that service. When you see what's gone on, it must sort of be, it, it must. In one level, you say, well, we did it, we did it different back then. We did it sort of right, and and what's happening now. But on another level, you must be sort of torn apart. Yes, it's very sad. It's sad personally, and but it's also sad for our country. Uh, there's something been lost. I hope. And it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book and I've done so much talking about this and op-eds. I hope we can win some of it back and, and bring it back around. But there's something definitely that has been lost. The uh, in your in the introduction, um, the first sentence you have that, that, I, that I underline, Americans have lost faith in the FBI, an institution they once regarded as the world's greatest law enforcement agency. When you were in the FBI, um, I, uh, let me preface it. I told someone once when I ran the election board in St. Louis and the job was twofold. One, you had to actually um, do the job well. It was hard to do, but you also had to make people 
publicly believe in you. Because if they didn't think it worked, then they, they wouldn't let you do your job. If the FBI's really lost the faith of the Americans, it's it's impossible to do their job, isn't it? Well, that's a good point. And that's a, that's an additional problem on a practical level that's happened in a democracy uh, such as ours. Uh, and of course, the United States is the outstanding uh, example of a democracy in the sense that I'm talking about. Right. Police, law enforcement absolutely depends on the cooperation of the people. Uh, there's only so much coercion can be used in a democracy. So you're, you're depending on the cooperation of the American people. And in the past, the FBI certainly had always gotten a tremendous degree of cooperation from the American people. Uh, but that's, that's perhaps, well, I think we're losing that cooperation. We're losing that support, uh, and rightly so. And also, uh, the whole concept, and this is a, a very specific problem that's come really to the fore in the last month or two, is the, the public-private partnership of the FBI with so many entities in our society has, has now turned into a perversion uh, where before th there were a lot of initiatives, and I personally worked on several of them, uh, to involve the FBI with different as people in the community. Uh, we did this in drug prevention programs, uh, in, in, in other programs like that. But now with the, the, the collaboration that existed and has come forward in the Twitter accounts, uh, the so-called Twitter files, it's a perversion. And the explanation is given, well, this is just typical or continuing, given by the FBI uh, headquarters, this is just the typical traditional public-private partnership. Oh, no, it's not. This is something terrible. This is something bad. It's, um, it is the, uh, the, they, you know, I got to part one of the book and it says the good. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is like the movies. And I, I started to read that and, and I got the scene, um, about when you were really young and before you got into the, uh, into law enforcement. I don't know if it was the NYPD or, or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a, a NYPD, uh, uh, detective or somebody that you met that was real cynical and all. Um, but, but I, I guess what I, what is a funny thing to do is we, we, we can't, Americans can't, give up on the um we we believe that the good guys are the good guys and it is good it doesn't in other words in the 1940 or 1920 or 1900 there would have been cops or someone who wasn't a nice guy who did something wrong in other words we're always we've always been human uh, the problem is i don't know if if part of the culture media and the left wants us to uh, part of I, I say distrust and verify. I, I tell people, forget trust and verify, distrust and verify, but you still got to verify. It's a two part thing. You got to still move ahead. I think the left wants us to distrust and walk away. And, and the part of the dynamic right now is people are, are sort of saying, well, I can't trust anything, especially law enforcement. Therefore, I'm just sort of checking out. And I feel like that part of it is really lost. And, and what I, and, and yet we watch the shows at night and we watch Blue Bloods and others and we want to believe in heroes. Right. It's a funny thing. You you say you hate your politicians, your elected officials. We, we all want term limits, except we kind of like our guy and we never vote him out. I, I, I guess what, what I'm saying is you do want to celebrate the 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 goodness, even as you say the thing is broken, uh, uh, parts of it are broken. 
Well, that uh, Ed, that's a great point. That's exactly why I wrote the book the way I did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. And a lot of, uh, I call it one of the subtitles is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And, and uh, I wanted to lay out the good, how it was, uh, the, the adventures, uh, and, and a lot of them that, you know, are quite personal, as you'll see in there. Yep. But also I saw some of these historical cases that I was part of or on the fringe of. I wanted to tell certain facts that uh, they're not secret, but they're not generally well known. I'm talking about, you know, major things that most of the public would know something about, like the attempted assassination of President Reagan or the, the major airline catastrophes that have happened TWA 800, Pan Am 103, others like that. So I wanted to tell the good uh, and, and people would enjoy those adventures. But the other part of the good was how we were trained, how we, we as FBI agents, as new FBI agents were formed. And there was a tremendous emphasis on the Constitution, uh, particularly the Bill of Rights, the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments, and we were taught that they weren't obstacles to be overcome, that there was something we should embrace, uh, and that we were the guarantors of the civil rights, the, the first 10 amendments to the people of the country. And, and, and I give examples of that as we go along in that first third of the book. Yeah. And it's, it's just so different from the stuff that has come to light in the Russian collusion narrative and now in the Twitter cases where it seems that the FBI has joined in with big tech uh, and in, with some politicians in actually working against the, the First Amendment, certainly the right of free speech. It's um, it's uh, and again, um, when you, that's that's why I liked how you set it up. By the way, I, I didn't say it very well, but I, what I was saying was it started out with uh, uh, positive stories and and sort of uh, heroic stories and all the rest. And uh, and I think that's we sort of need our heroes. We can't we can't get rid of all of our heroes. Um, uh, you mentioned the training. Um, everybody I know, uh, uh, it's a human condition, right? I mean, I, I tell people when I went to law school, it was harder. My wife, who's a doctor, she'll say, Oh, when we went through med school, you know, the residency was harder. Everybody, somehow we all do that. Right. And here we are. Uh, but you, you know, you, you talked about the training or the, the expectation. Um, how, how dramatically has that changed for the FBI? I mean, when you look back and say, um, and, and, and here's a different way to ask the same question. I remember when Tom Clancy wrote The Hunt for Red October. Years later, I was told that Clancy made all a lot of the guys, including Jack Ryan, if you, he used to play poker with some guys, they were all Jesuit uh, educated because in the FBI at the time, there was all these uh, uh, Catholics because they knew ethics and morality. They were raised and they knew, frankly, patriarchy. They, you know, the, the hierarchy, they knew someone's going to tell you what to do and you might not like it, but you're going to do it. And, uh, and over time, you might be able to draw a parallel that, you know, the Catholic Church has had a, a series of exoduses from its uh, pews and its churches and people not sort of engaging and being not that way. And the FBI doesn't have that same uh, mindset. I mean, at this point, is the FBI, um, are they failing in the training or is the raw material that's going into it, into the FBI already sort of malformed and you can't train it up the way you'd want? Well, that's a profound question. And I, I, I have a take and a, a, an explanation I put forward in the book, but the, 
the larger question which you're asking is, has our society as a whole deteriorated? Has our culture deteriorated? And, and that's, that's always in the back of my mind that we're drawing from a, uh, a population that maybe doesn't have the same values, the same commitment. Hey, listen, I just, we had, we were recording that, uh, with Thomas Baker, the author. And, um, so it, 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 unfortunately it disconnected. And so here's what I want to promise you. That's a great conversation. Thomas Baker is the author. Uh, we will uh, put up on uh, social media, uh, links to his book. And I'm going to have him back on because, uh, it is really a, a helpful book. He gets into, uh, the aspects of what's happening, uh, in the FBI in a way that is very different than you'd expect. I mean, you know, the, uh, obviously the, um, the book is the fall of the FBI, how a once great agency became a threat to democracy. So he's got a perspective, uh, as a 33 year veteran. So sorry about that disconnection. It was a great conversation, but we'll continue it. Um, so, uh, check out on social media, Thomas J. Baker's book, uh, which is the fall of the FBI, how a once great agency became a threat to democracy. Um, available. It's a Post Hill Press uh, special. As always, these guys are doing such great books. Um, and uh, we will, uh, I'll put it up on social media so you can get it all available there. Um, it's uh, it's very good. And we'll have him back. I'll have Thomas Baker back on uh, to cover that. All right. Uh, be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Elon Musk took to Twitter to raise the alarm about the money that crypto billionaire and Ponzi schemer Sam Bankman-Fried poured into electing Democrats last year. $40 million is just the publicly disclosed number, Musk tweeted, adding that Bankman-Fried's actual support of Dem elections is probably over $1 billion. That money went somewhere, so where did it go? Well, some of that money undoubtedly went into exploiting early voting, which Democrats used to subvert Election Day by stuffing ballot drop boxes and herding uninformed voters to early voting precincts like cattle. In all-important Arizona, Twitter censorship boosted the Democrat candidate against the Trump-endorsed Carrie Lake. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia tweeted against how the Secretary of State of Arizona and the governor candidate Katie Hobbs used the power of the Secretary of State to collude with Twitter to unconstitutionally violate First Amendment rights of Americans for her own political gain. In a story broken by the Gateway Pundit, Twitter censored tweets critical of Democrat gubernatorial candidate Katie Hobbs at her request. These requests from Katie Hobbs serving as the Arizona Secretary of State and one who refused to recuse herself from supervising her own election, these were released in a federal lawsuit entitled Missouri v. Biden. This lawsuit exposed how social media giants censor conservative speech at the request of the Biden administration officials. Before Democrats start hurling the epithet of election denier at anyone who wants election integrity, Democrats need look no further than their own newly elected House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries. Two years into Trump's first term, Jeffries tweeted that the more we learn about the 2016 election, the more illegitimate it becomes. There's a clear double standard when it comes to elections, and it's time for those that love justice to courageously demand in-person voting on a single election day. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When big tech billionaires silence conservative voices on social media, the very core of American liberty vanishes. It's happening, and it's a slippery slope. At phyllisschlafly.com, we have a plan for protecting free speech. It starts with you. Please go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, just got a minute or so to finish up. Let me give you a heads up. I'll be filling in for the great Andrea Kay on a Monday, uh, the uh, next this coming week. Uh, what is that? The, um, the Let's see if I got my dates right. Uh, 12th. I think it's the 12th. Yeah, the 12th of February. I'll be filling in on the great Andrea Kay show. Looking forward to that and working with uh, Noah Dingley, the great producer who also produces this show. So thank you. Mark your calendar. Thank you. I'll still be doing my show. So We'll have three hours of programming on Monday on The Answer San Diego. So looking forward to that. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Thank you to our great guests. And don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email and also track down any of these segments that you are enjoying. We will be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.